bunch of like air horns. Oh boy. And then it'll be like that real deep voice behind us that's like Pacino Pie. <laughs> <laughs> we met through radio uh, five years ago. Oh Jesus Christ. Yeah, something like that five years ago. Yeah, we worked at Campus Radio together. Jake was my boss. I um, was not much of a boss. I felt... It, I was going to say bossed around, but that's not true. <laughs> you were very, like... Yeah, I didn't have to... Like, I didn't feel like I had to answer to anybody, really. There was a lot of freedom. Yeah, I um, I wasn't very good at uh, that's not... being... Uh, <laughs> making sure people did what they were supposed to do. Oh my goodness, that's not true. But like, it was also campus radio where there's like, how many fucking kids? Yeah, I had to like, I mean, they're all it's like 60 plus DJs and they're all volunteers. And like sometimes, you know, like there was this kid who one time I was at a film shoot. Uh, we're both film students too. Um, I was at a film shoot and this kid texts me. He's like, I have... My sick to my stomach, I can't do my show, so I had to like frantically try and find someone to cover for him. And then later on, I look at Snapchat and he has a picture of him golfing with his friends. So, <laughs> so that's the kind of responsibility that he you get. He had golf from, fever. From, yeah, he had golf fever. That's the yeah, that's the kind of responsibility you're getting from twenty something year old volunteer DJs. I don't think I ever skipped out on a ship. That might be the only job where I never faked sick to get out of it. Because I was just like gonna go hang out by myself in a station. Yeah, I never understood why people didn't want to go to their show because it's like to me that was just like the way I de-stressed, honestly. Yeah, I'm like, don't you want to boost your ego and, like, make 13 people listen to you for an hour? <laughs> hey, and that's what we're doing here right now with, the, with this podcast. Yeah, you know, full circle. Wow. Uh, our, um, our dozen listeners, if we're lucky. <laughs> if we're lucky. My name is Jake. I use yeah, what they, did you study? I use they, them pronouns. I have a degree in film that I'm not using at all. I work at a library. I, um... I'm on Twitter all the time. Pace Magazine said that I had one of the funniest tweets of the week the same uh, week as Conan O'Brien. So technically, I could say that I'm as funny as Conan O'Brien, and that is my life story. And Jake does say that <laughs> pretty often. <laughs> That's your Twitter bio. Isn't it, it? Is, it is my Twitter bio, <laughs> at Static Blue Bad. At Static Blue Bad. <laughs> oh no, I sound like Blue from Blue's Clues. <laughs> I'm Callie. I'm also, I also have a film degree that I'm not using. Oh, actually, I did use the degree itself to catch a bee the other day. Wait, what? No, tell, you gotta tell this to <laughs> Well, in my house, I live in a very old house. That's probably, if you hear, like, background noise in the podcast, it's because of our ghosts and the fact that I live in an, uh, like, 130-year-old house. But somehow a bee got into the bathroom, like a big bumblebee, and I caught it with, like, a cup, and then I needed something to, like, put behind it to, like, take it outside, and all that was, like, within arm's reach was my <laughs> degree from... And, the University of Kansas. And that's a metaphor for how useful liberal arts degrees are. <laughs> you know, it was the first time I've really used it. Well, I mean, I guess I'm kind of using it at my job, which I'm furloughed from for COVID, which I guess burr, burr, burr. is... Burr, burr, burr. <laughs> <laughs> Furlough! <laughs> 
Um, which I guess is what brings us to the podcast because Jake and I just really needed something to do um, during the pandemic, which you're about to go back to work. I technically am, except, um, you know, I was at the building for a couple days this week, but then I lost my car key, um, and it apparently costs $200 to make a new one. So, um, if you see a Patreon link very soon... <laughs> it's all for Jake's It's just key. for me to make another car key. <laughs> Um, initially Jake wanted to do a podcast, um, all about Adam Sandler movies. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to watch every single Adam Sandler film, but, um, Callie was like, well, Al Pacino was in one Adam Sandler film, so, um, we could do Al Pacino, and then you'll at least get to watch one of them, so, and it turns out the one, the one Al Pacino movie that, that Adam Sandler was in was Jack and Jill, which is widely considered the worst Adam Sandler film. I like the idea that I sold this idea to you by being like, hey, but you can watch Jack and Jill. <laughs> yeah, well, if anybody knows me, um, you know that like that's a pretty easy sell because I thrive on trash films. So. Mm, yeah. <laughs> um, which we don't have too many of those to talk about right now. I mean, Al, Al Pacino um, in the 70s generally pretty pretty good yeah. um it's not till the 90s that you start getting getting some sketch stuff get there yeah so tell us about the first movie well i'm glad you asked the first <laughs> film is the movie me natalie directed by fred coe in 1969 the very first film uh that Adam, uh, not Adam Sandler, no, this was not the very first <laughs> film that Adam Sandler was in. Uh, the very first film that Al Pacino was in, and he's only in it for two minutes. Uh, when I told Callie this, she was like, you can just watch that one on your own, and um, you can tell me about it, because I don't I don't feel like watching that. Which is fair. I mean, it's not, it's not a bad movie. Um, it's pretty good. It stars Patty Duke, uh, who many people might know from... Uh, Valley of the Dolls was her big film in the 60s. Um, she's really good in it. Um, the only reason the movie's anyway decent is because of her performance. But the plot of it's really sketch. I mean, like, basically for the first half of the movie, um, we're all supposed to believe that, like, nobody wants to have sex with Patty Duke because she's so fucking ugly. But I'm like, if you've seen a picture of her, it's like, it's not even like... Hollywood ugly. She's a she's a very attractive woman. So I'm like, what? Like, why are we supposed to? It's it's not. Yeah, it's not even like you're watching like uh, Ugly Betty and like um, we're supposed to believe America Ferrera is not attractive because she's wearing glasses or whatever. It's embraces. like embraces. It's like no, she's like legit attractive and um and uh, and we're all horny during quarantine, like <laughs> trying to believe that nobody wants to fuck her. <laughs> I know, right? This was even like I, this. This is like I even watched this pre-quarantine. This was how long ago. I watched this movie, which, on a side note, um, is so obscure, I had to basically get the uh, one um, local video rental store still in town to special order the movie for me, um, because uh, because uh, otherwise I would have had to spend $15 on it on Amazon. So, yeah, that's pretty much the story of me tracking. And, like, once they got them, and, they, you know, they were nice enough to actually order it, um, I'm sure I will be the only person to ever rent it, but, um, once I actually got the DVD, of course, there was zero special features, not even a trailer, just, like, I might as well have had the VHS. You just pop it in. You just pop it, it in, and then you just hit play, and that, that's, that's all that you get. Um, but yeah, as far as Al Pacino's presence in the movie, he's, like I said, he's only in it for two minutes, um, 
his big scene. Uh, she's at this nightclub um, on a really bad date. Neither one of neither her, or the guy she's dating, wants to be with each other. So she's just kind of all wandering around. And then Al Pacino comes up and starts dancing with her and like kind of hitting on her. And she, and she's like, Yeah, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put out for you. And then he just immediately walks away. Like he's like, I'm gonna go have sex with someone else. And that was his Al Pacino's big screen debut <laughs> right there. <laughs> In, like, just a few years, he will be Michael Corleone. <laughs> right. That, that's, that's, Isn't that such a crazy trajectory? Like, Yeah, he goes from random guy in bar um, to uh, getting nominated for an Oscar. So good good for him. Good for Al Pacino. Um, but yeah, whether or not I'd recommend watching this movie, I don't know if it's really worth going out of your way for it. I mean, if you really like Patty Duke, she's charming in it. Um didn't you say it kind of had that, like, vibe that, like, certain rom-coms have these days where it's, like, fucking Natalie Portman or some somebody, like, universally adored, and then it'll be, like, her character will be, like, I just can't stop eating, or, like, I'm such a pig. Yeah, no, And it's, yeah. like, no, you're not. You're, like, a little adorable baby, like, that everybody loves, and, like, but the whole idea is that, like, she snacks too much and can't find a husband. Yeah, or no, it, 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 it's yeah, it's that's ba basically in like Patty Duke's thing. It's like she's ugly, but it's like she's not ugly <laughs> at all. I mean, the only like, I mean, it gets a little bit better in the second half when she's like out on her own and you like get to kind of see some of the, like sixties counterculture stuff. But like, <laughs> I mean, and there's like a whole scene where she's like having an acid trip. That's kind of interesting but oh I like those yeah not acid but I like scenes where people have acid trips yeah that was like probably the most 60s like late 60s thing about the movie was like the the, the uh, typical acid trip scene <laughs> <laughs> but um, I don't know there's not really much else to say about it it's fine it's a it's a it's a nice little movie I think Patty Duke was nominated for like a Golden Globe for it um, yeah awards and nominations yeah, she was. Uh, she no, she won Gold, uh, the Golden Globe for Best Actress in a Motion Picture, Musical, or Comedy uh, for that year. So, it is an award-winning movie. Um, I will say that she does do a good performance in it. So I wouldn't say that that award was like a bad choice or whatever. I don't even know who she was up against because um, I haven't seen a lot of 1969 movies. <laughs> but um, we found out Jake is ageless. <laughs> Jake has been around since the 60s. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm eternal. I've, I've been here since the beginning of time, and I will be here at the end of time. So our second film was Panic at Nina Park, which came out in 1971 uh, and was directed by Jerry... Jerry. <laughs> Got a little French... Uh, Schatzberg, and um, we didn't... Yeah, written by John Didion. Which is crazy. Uh, she is uh, just a phenomenal writer of essays. Um, I just looked up what the poster looked like for Panic at Needle Park, and like the tagline is "God help Bobby and Helen, they're in love in Needle Park." That's a really bad tagline. I'm sorry. God help them. God help these poor loser drug addicts. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say? Oh, no, I was just saying, like, Joan Didion, she's, like, you know, a very famous writer, um, you know, famous for tons of essay collections that, um, you know, every intellectual in college reads at some point, except for me, even though I own, I own her White Album, uh, 
I think it's called the Whiteout. Let me let me double check. Yeah, this is I'm such a bad like I work at a freaking library and I um I get titles mixed up all the time. What book of hers do I own? Yes, it is the White Album that I own from her that I bought many years ago and like so many other books on my shelf just sit there waiting for me to eventually read it. <laughs> I thought like the, well, I mean, I'm sure the script was a lot different than like, you know, I'm, things change whenever you're making a movie and stuff, but like the dialogue in the movie, I feel like it never was like trying too hard, which was yeah, really sweet. It, like it was such a like organic like Everything felt very natural. And um, I think I kind of mentioned this at the time when we were watching it, but it kind of reminded me of like, there's that horn. It kind of reminded me of um, as, like the Italian neorealist films like Bicycle Thieves and stuff where they're trying to be like very like this is how life actually is. We're going to portray it as like realistically as possible, as messy as possible. Um, we're not going to like... Very little music. Yeah, we're not, no, yeah, no music. There is no score at all, I don't think. Really? It, it's... Um, yeah, there isn't a score. Um, and uh, basically just trying to be like, this is what life is like. Um, and I don't know if it's supposed to be like a cautionary tale or more like this is like just trying to portray like drug addiction in a realistic, not overly glamorized way. And um, yeah, like going back to me, Natalie, like with the acid trip, that's like a very kooky, glamorized, like, oh, acid trips are, this is bonkers. like. And just like you know, not not really showing what it actually is like, just what that was more like coming of age. Yeah, like what Hollywood <laughs> Hollywood productions uh, think of. Um, whereas Panic and Needle Park is like this is heroin. Heroin sucks, and uh, this is what can happen to like a sweet little couple. But like the way I think it takes like a left turn at the drugs is like so realistic because at the beginning it is kind of like this sweet little love story between these like hippies that don't have like a lot tying them down they just like love each other or whatever he like swings into her life like it's a whirlwind romance and then all of a sudden it's like drugs and like all of that's gone and like they yeah sorry yeah no like um uh going back to the score for a second i just i did look it up and it said um there was supposed to be a score originally but they decided that um to better set the atmosphere, they weren't going to use it. But if you do want to hear his isolated and unused score, it's on the Blu-ray version. So, <laughs> fun. <laughs> fun fact. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I might actually want to listen to that. Yeah. I wonder if it, like, feels any different listening to it with the score, because, like, I, like, see what they're going for. Like, you don't want to have, it, like, imagine, like, okay, that scene where Al Pacino, like, is fucking pass the fuck out and has his mouth like wide open and she's like hmm <laughs> maybe I'll do some of that yeah. uh if there had been like a but it dun 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 yeah it would have been cheesy as hell like it would have just taken away from like I feel I feel like with this movie some people might like think it's boring or something because everything's kind of on the inside there are like scenes where people yell at each other and there's like emotion and stuff but like most of the time it's all in like the actor's face and like the moment contextually and like with music sometimes it like takes you out of that sometimes it adds to it but i feel like with this movie like i like their choice not to have music 
yeah, even instrumentally, like no, exactly. I mean, like I really do think the the like this movie was uh, kind of going for like a documentary, like fly on the wall style, like filming it as, as you would. If like some if, like a camera crew was just yeah, it almost felt like a documentary. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> like, and maybe it's just the heroine that makes me think of like Train Spotting. But like in Train Spotting, Danny Boyle does like a lot of different like effects and like music and stuff to like show what it's like to be fucked up. But I think in the same ways they show just like the darkest like lows of like what it's like and how quickly it can happen to you. Like in Train Spotting, it's the uh, character that. I'm blanking on his name, but he was like later in Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> I haven't seen Transpotting. I'm sorry. What? As a, yeah, as a film um, person with a film degree, my um, my there's a lot of blind spots in my film <laughs> watching. Um, I spend a lot of time just doing weird things. Like I'm gonna watch every. John Travolta movie, which is why we're doing this pod. I mean, that's basically what we're doing with this pod. Like, I'm gonna yeah. watch it. Like, so it's not like um, I don't really like sit down and be like, "What acclaimed movie should I watch today?" That's or true. Yeah, we've never been like the, and that's probably why we get along like really well. Is we've mm -hmm. never been like the snobby like film kids that like only watch like critically acclaimed shit. Like, I remember in film school being like, "I kind of really like Hot Rod," and like everybody being like, "Um, <laughs> well, yeah." But, okay, so, uh, Kevin McKidd, he played Tommy in Trade Spotting, and that character is, like, the only character that doesn't do heroin at the beginning, and then kind of, like, comes around to it, and then you see how quickly his life spirals and stuff, and I feel like that's kind of the same thing that happens with, um, Helen in Panic at Needle Park, like, I don't think she's a drug user at the beginning, she's just kind of, like, doesn't have a lot. I mean, it's implied that she's homeless when he meets her yeah, because she had just, just like, like left like her boyfriend um had dumped her who i believe that she was that's who, who she was living with and so and then al pacino just kind of swoops in and be like i'm gonna be your boyfriend now and she's yeah. just like okay i don't have anywhere to live so sure <laughs> <laughs> which like i actually know a few like young people that are like like that where it's just like i need a place to live and a relationship would be cool too <laughs> and it's like let's move in together but, yeah, she's just kind of, like, couch surfing or, like, staying with somebody that she's seeing, has a botched abortion, and then in the hospital, Al Pacino comes in and is like, your boyfriend's gone. <laughs> and, you know, I like you a lot, so why don't we, like, try this out or whatever. And he seems like he has it together, like, he could take care of her. He tells her, like, not to worry about money and, like, all of this stuff, which she 100% needs to worry about money. Yeah, he, um, his, his big way of showing that, uh, that he has, like, that he's a stable person to be with is, like, watch me steal this TV out of this truck. See how good I am at robbing? That's, you know, you'll never have to worry about money again. I can again. provide for you, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, like... And, you know, kind of immediately he's, like, letting her down and, like, uh, not being there for her, which just kind of, like, comes with the territory. We've, like, noted that Al Pacino is not a very good boyfriend in a lot of things. His first, he is a, uh, he plays a horrible, uh, horrible misogynist person in, like, at, like his first three movies. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I get, would you say Michael Corleone is misogynist? Or he's just kind of... Yeah. Yeah? Okay. I would. I guess we can get into that. So <laughs> that'll that'll that be in a bit, but... Uh, but yeah, like, I feel like they just did, like, a really good job of... Like, it was still romantic, and you could still see why they were, like, sticking together. Like, they had this, like, 
affection for each other and like fondness but and like maybe it could have been something if they didn't have the drugs but I feel like the movie did a really good job of showing that like well because of that like everything else is fucked and also their dog is dead oh my god yeah can we talk about that scene that's such a and I remember like we were in here and I was like okay so there's a scene where they're you know gonna get their shit together and they're gonna get a dog and they're gonna get off drugs and like all that stuff towards the end so they go and get a dog, and then they're taking the ferry back to the city, and he wants one more fix. That's, like, always the thing with junkies, like, one more time. And he, like, puts the dog outside the bathroom. And I said to Jake, that dog's going overboard. And I could see it in your face. You were like, how dare you? Like, how dare you even mention that as a possibility? And then, like, <laughs> it, like, happened, and I was like, no! Like, I didn't want to be right either, Jake. Yeah, it's what, um, so if you're what, a person who uh, needs to know if the dog lives or not <laughs> when you watch a movie, don't watch this film. <laughs> it's not like a Marley and Me situation, though. No, you don't it, really the know the dog. The dog's barely in it, yeah, Yeah, you sure. barely know the dog. You, you, you see the dog, you're like, oh, that's cute, and then it jumps off the ship and you're like oh you have about the same relationship with that dog that you have with apolina in the godfather <laughs> she's introduced she's in a relationship with al pacino in some fashion she's dead immediately <laughs> oh god yeah i can't wait to talk get to that part <laughs> but yeah i mean the movie's great like and it has some really cool shots and like the dialogue is really cool we talked about as like you know, having good female characters a little bit better than most movies would have in the 70s. Like, even though she kind of is going through a lot and she's a very vulnerable character, she's never, like, quite a damsel in distress. Like, she's still, like, a dynamic character and stuff. I was really, I was really, um, impressed with, uh, with her character. Especially, you know, in comparison to the way that, like, a lot of, a lot of films around that time would have portrayed, um, the female protagonist. Because, like, She's never, it's never, you never think of her as, like, this one-dimensional person, you know, in the, in the way that, like, a lot of, like, a lot of the women uh, were written in the set, especially, like, when you consider, like, comparing it to, like, The Godfather, or, like, the women characters in The Godfather and stuff, it's just, like, you know, <laughs> are basically non-existent if you really think yeah. about it, but, like, but w with her character, she's, like, you know, you see a lot of, you see a lot of emotion, you see a lot of humanity, like, even when she's at her, like, worst with, the, like, the drug addiction, you still, you still see the person behind her instead of just seeing her as, like, this character, caricature of a drug addict, so... Yeah, I was I was really impressed with with her performance. I don't know with the portrayal of her eventually like going into sex work and stuff, being driven to that through drugs and like desperation and not having her boyfriend around to like take care of her and stuff. Because there's a part in the movie where Pacino goes to jail. I feel like they didn't like it was like pretty okay for the seventies, even though he has like an adverse reaction to it, which you know, yeah, our boyfriend might I wouldn't, say something I wouldn't say shitty. he's super progressive. <laughs> saying that he is, I just feel like. You know, I feel like the movie tone doesn't feel like, I feel like it, it's, <laughs> it's on her side and like you're just seeing him being a dick about it. Yeah, no, I, I see what you're saying. Like, Does I, that make sense? Yeah, like, no, I, I don't think it's basically being like saying that she's a bad person for like going into sex work. Um, I think it's saying that like this guy is like such a, you know, he's, he's so wrapped up in his own self and can't see that he's kind of put her into this position to having to do this. Yeah, for sure. It's like getting 
being like, oh, I'll take care of you, and then getting someone like. And then she ends up heroin. taking. She ends up basically taking care of yeah. him at the end of the film, based you know, like he he's such a mess at that point, and not that she's like the picture of like put together either, but you know that the roles basically become reversed, and she's his like mother at, <laughs> at that point. <laughs> Ooh, I guess I didn't like think about that quite that much. We thought it was really interesting that the phrase ball into do like whenever he's like upset about her having had sex with people for money he's like did you ball him did you ball him oh i wish you hadn't fucking told me that you balled him and it's like what the fuck does that mean <laughs> yeah i hadn't heard that as a slang for sex before i think we movie. both googled it like while we were watching we were like does that mean fuck yeah, did you ball him? Yeah, no, it's such a, ball is such a weird term for sex. Well, I didn't know if it, like, meant something, like, drug-related, like, you know, you, like, get a little ball, mm, yeah. like, uh, balls, balls, so there's a lot of, I don't know, who yeah. knows? Yeah, you know, she definitely balled him, though. She did, 100%. She fucking balled him! <laughs> I wish you hadn't fucking told me that. <laughs> I'm like, you asked, you know? He asked in that scene. Yeah. Don't ask questions you don't want the answer to if you just got out of prison. Mmm, there you go. <laughs> On a side note, though, I I will say that Callie was very enthralled with uh, Pacino's headband throughout oh my God. that movie. <laughs> yeah, so I've only really known Al Pacino as like an old man, and so I was telling Jake that I was going through a lot <laughs> while we were watching that because he's so cute! Like, he's like so cute in 1971. Yeah, no, he's very attractive in that movie. Well, it's like, he was only 29, Panic in Needle Park. He was 29 in that movie? Mm -hmm. I would have thought he was younger, but that's interesting. I know, he looks so, and he was 30 in The Godfather. So, he's like, right around our age. Yeah. Did you think he was cute in Panic in Needle Park? Yeah, he was, a, he was cute. Um, and that long shaggy hair. Yeah, no, he wasn't bad. But, um, yeah, yeah, no, I'd say he's cute. <laughs> I don't know, I think, like, sometimes it's, like, so, uh upsetting whenever you'll like watch an old movie and be like that guy's hot and then it's like he's dead he's dead <laughs> or he's like grandpa pacino now yeah <laughs> i don't know maybe i still would with old dunkachino oh yeah would you yeah, yeah, do you want to do you want to taste his dunkachino <laughs> <laughs> please keep that keep that in callie i will be very upset if you don't keep that. i will i will um <laughs> I mean, he was also, like, very attractive in The Godfather, and he has this, like, stoicness, too. Yeah, which I'm excited to talk about his, his attract, his, um, level, of, uh, because I feel <laughs> like that... I'm just gonna rate how hot he is in every movie. Well, his, his this, looks... his am look... I objectifying... Al Pacino? Al Pacino. Yeah, a, if he, he listens to he, this, he's is a... he gonna be, like, a sad, like, old 80-year-old man being, like, nah. are, but are you watching the movie, ma'am? <laughs> <laughs> he's a cis dude. He's... You can objectify him a little bit. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know... It's a freebie. <laughs> it's a freebie. Um, <laughs> Jesus. No, but I was. I, I am excited to talk about his looks in The Godfather because right. that that is a plot point at certain, like, in the book. And it's not so much in the movie, but even though they touch on it a little bit. Yeah. But we'll get to it. I don't even know, like, where to start on The Godfather. So, I mean, like, you were saying that you'd never seen Transpotting, and I was like, oh my god, or whatever. But I had never seen The Godfather up until this point. And, like, I remember in film school being, like, so, like, <laughs> having to be quiet about that. And there was this other person in film school, and we were both, like, did it for five years because we 
did double majors like idiots. Like I have two majors. What was your what was your other major? <laughs> history. <laughs> you did, oh, I didn't know you did history. Why? Why did I do that? Hey, I minored in journalism, so it's not like I picked any solid and major choice. I minored in creative writing. <laughs> so it's like all three of my choices were just utter bullshit. But um, yeah, we were both like fifth year seniors and we were like talking one day and we were like between the two of us there are 10 years of film school and neither of us have seen The Godfather. <laughs> like how did that happen? And we even like took this picture on graduation day and we were like still haven't seen The Godfather. <laughs> Yeah, you can't say that anymore. Yeah, though. I can't. In I fact, actually you, texted him that day. You've gone so overboard into, like, knowing stuff about the Godfather. <laughs> I know! That's why, like, I tweeted the other day that, like, gif of Jim Rash from Community, where he's, like, the dean. He's like, I hope this doesn't awaken anything. <laughs> because, like, I have never really liked mobster movies or anything like that. But I think now I'm into true crime and I'm also like, oh, but it's organized. I'm like, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, I like organization and I like crime. <laughs> there you go. And you know, get ready to strap in because Al Pacino has quite a few Yay. organized crime films. <laughs> For sure. Whether, he, whether he's both uh, the criminal and the cop, you know? <laughs> oh, is there one where he's both? Oh, I guess oh no, I, I, would, I, was, I was just saying like, He's either, you know, right. usually he's either a criminal or a cop. I could have phrased that a little bit better. <laughs> That's a sketch that Jake and I are developing, which is that actors from New York, cis male actors from New York, can only either be a bad guy or a cop. <laughs> I mean, it's it's very true, though, if you really just dig in, dig deep into it. But, um... I mean, really, um, that might extend through the whole East Coast. I don't know. <laughs> we'll see. I have to do further research before I can make such generalizations. But. Yeah, but I was saying that it's it's too bad that there's a movie in between Godfather and Serpico because then we could have literally gone from criminal to cop. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this like idea of like a crime family and stuff, like it is kind of a romantic... We, yeah. Our first recording of this podcast got erased whenever my computer tragically came unplugged. And so we've talked about a few of these things before, and Jake and I might, like, get, like, kind of bored with each other. But, like, we talked about the, like, how people romanticize, like, crime movies like this and, like, crime families, like, the go you know, The Godfather is based on. And we were, like, trying to get to the bottom of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... <laughs> Yeah, we we were doing a, some serious detective work. I'm sorry, no. I won't smoke before any no, other please, show Callie, ever again. No, please, Callie. Callie, please, please. I, I want I want at least one of us has to be inebriated in some level. Like okay. that's that's the dynamic. It's like one person's is either stoned or inebriated, and, and the other person the, the other person's sober. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, we we did talk a lot about uh, the romanticization of um, organized crime, and I do think it kind of. Not that it necessarily started with The Godfather, but it really, like, kicked into high gear with it. Not that I think, like, Coppola was intending to, like, make, you know, like, it seem like, oh, look how cool it is to be a fucking mob person, because, like, I think the whole crux of the movie is, like, this, mo this like, lifestyle has destroyed, um, you know, Don Corleone's entire life. You know, he's lost his son, he's lost his, like, livelihood, he's you know, he's getting shot in the street. It's like, it's not supposed to, you're not supposed to be like, oh yeah, this is great. This is, Fuck a, yeah. this is what I want to get into. But it does like with the, with how glamorized, like the violence and everything is in it. I do think it comes like, that's why people do, um, glamorize it. But, um, 
Sorry. And I mean, Scorsese kind of had those issues too uh, with Goodfellas, but that's why I like The Irishman though, because I think um, Scorsese like was like, okay, you know, people have people have uh, complaints about the way like the violence and like the lifestyles portrayed in these films as being overly glamorized. So we're just gonna suck all of the life out of it and just show these in like the most clinical terms possible that this is a, this is like not something to, to strive for. Is Goodfellas set in the same? Goodfellas time is a period? little. Um, it's uh yeah it's a I think it's about ten years plus because I think Godfather's set in the forties. Where I think Goodfellas is like 50s, 50s, 50s esque. Yeah. Well, like we talked about that a little bit too, like how with film, it seems like there's like a certain amount of time people need to take to like process things and think about it. Like, you know, there's like 20 years after Vietnam, people were like, okay, now we'll make Full Metal Jacket or right. whatever. It's like there seemed to be about like 30 years before like all these like mobster movies started popping up after like the 30s and 40s, whenever. Mm-hmm. All of that shit was in full swing, and now it's like kind of a I don't know. Do you think crime families are still doing shit in the United States? <sighs> we have one in, in the White House. We have a Cheeto in the White House. Oh my God. Ah! No, but Trump is. I to- guess he is. Yeah, that Trump is a crime to- family. Trump sure. totally has like mob connections and stuff. Yeah, no, that, that it's on every level. I still think like organized crime is a very, very cornerstone part of American politics and culture. <laughs> This is where it leads to. It leads to a Cheeto in the White House. This is what it leads to. We got a gosh dang Cheeto in the White House. <laughs> Are you doing an impression of? No, I'm doing an impression of all of the resistance libs on Twitter who like oh. that's their whole brand is like calling him a Cheeto. It's just calling him a Cheeto and like look how funny it is to put Trump in a dress and have him kiss Putin. We're like such good allies, but haha, it's so icky and gross when two men kiss each other. Like that's. That's, that's, I'm just mocking that. Yeah. <laughs> that mentality. Really, they should draw him, like, eating his ass, right? Well, that, no, you don't, don't just trump the, the pleasure of eating someone's ass. <laughs> eating, ass eating is a sacred, it is a <laughs> sacred activity, and it should not be used for hashtag the resistance. And that's what this podcast is really about. <laughs> Getting the word out there about eating ass. Yeah, really. I mean, that's what we we, we really wanted to make a podcast about ass eating, but um, unfortunately, uh, we have to sneak it by the uh, by the Apple uh, censors. So we're so we hit it in a Pacino. Podcast. Yeah, we we put it in the middle. Um, on like one end is about Al Pacino, the other end is about Al Pacino. Right in the middle, you just get a total in-depth coverage of ass eating. <laughs> Which really, my only view into that world is through my cats. My cats love to eat each other's asses. <laughs> and I was fostering this cat for a little while, and like the most progress that she made, she really didn't like my cats, but the most progress that she made is that one day she got up and just ate one of our cat's asses for like two minutes and then left. And I was like, okay, that's fine. Uh, And, like, I've sent so many people Snapchats of my cats eating each other's asses that, like, my my best friend Lauren was like, stop sending this to me unless it's a train. (laughs) She was like, three or more cats. Uh, Anything less, I don't care. Yeah, I mean, because it, it's lost its novelty at this point. It's I, like, yeah. It's just like, oh, another another, another cat eating another ass, you know? What else is new? <laughs> well, Oliver really likes to, like, spend a lot of time on Garbage's balls, too, and I just think it's really funny. He balled him. He balled. They balled. They ball. They ball. Balling out. No, that's different now, right? 
Oh, man. Now you're reminding me that I went to the movie theater to watch Uncle Drew, which is... What? <laughs> I was amazed. <laughs> it's like one of the last movies I went to see when I had Movie Pass. Because you do remember Movie Pass, you could just like basically go and see whatever like for free because it was such a... Like, I, I, I loved that because they, uh, it was such a scam on, on our end because w this is the only time, like, a, a scam has ever benefited the actual person <laughs> um, because it was like, yeah, well, you could, wa like, pay 10 bucks a month and you can go see a movie 20 every day. And it's like, yeah, I'll go freaking watch Daddy's Home too and <laughs> Bad Bombs Christmas and Uncle Drew, which is a horrible movie, and unfortunately, Al Pacino was not in it, so we don't have to talk about it on this one. <laughs> I've actually never heard of it, but I just know it sounds bad. Oh, oh, let's sidebar. Let's get let's let's get into a little bit of Uncle Drew <laughs> discussion. Is there any ass eating? There is no ass eating, but there is lots of balling because it's a basketball movie. Oh, it's based on, kind of it's balling. based on a commercial. Um, I don't even remember the basketball player's name. I saw the movie. I don't even remember because I don't watch basketball, but. Um, He's like, he plays this old guy who's like really good at basketball. It's like amazing, uh, an old guy can dunk. And that's the crux of the movie. It's like this old guy is getting his old ass friends back together to compete in this um, basketball tournament. Oh my God. And Nick Kroll's in it. He's the bad guy. <laughs> um, and Shaquille O'Neal's one of the old basketball players. Uh, hey, Nick, you don't have to take every role. He got his start in um, the the guy who he he loves to do things that are based on commercials because he got his start in the Geico Caveman, Caveman television series, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which I watched when it did. Don't ask me why. When I was in high school, I was obsessed with the idea of this stupid TV show. So I would call my friend every night it was on because I knew it would, could get canceled at any minute. It's like you have to do like a running commentary on the Geico Caveman show while it's on the air because this is oh horrible. My God. I love Nick Kroll. I didn't mean to say you don't have to take every role. You can take every role you want, baby. I mean, he's he comes from money. He's fine. Yeah, but you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyways, I don't know how we got onto this. What were we talking about? Uh, Ballin'. <laughs> Which we're somehow... And then ass-eating. And, we'll... and then back to The Godfather. <laughs> that, this is the kind of discussion also, you get on. Also, no ass-eating in The Godfather. No ass-eating. I don't think there's ass-eating in any You know, I bet Mama Corleone... She, you think ate, she ate Vito's yeah, ass? Yeah, she ate the Godfather's ass. Maybe. I don't know. Or vice versa. She I don't know. He 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 no. seems like he he doesn't. Do you think he was dirty? No, I think he's a shitty lay. I don't think he even like gave. He lays there. Like no, he he, totally he, he just there. no, he just like gets on top and he's like, uh, I'm done. <laughs> there was a good for you as it was for me, and she's just like, yes, yes, Godfather. He's like, I and gotta he goes, go cook something. I gotta go cook the gabagool. <laughs> The whole time she's laying there, she's just thinking about how she forgot to put the gabagool in the oven. <laughs> I don't know what gabagool is. <laughs> I just love that but one. But I've been calling, I have a cat named Garbage, and I've been calling him Garbagool. Garbagool? <laughs> oh, God. Good that we're re-recording this because it was all facts and information <laughs> the last true. time. I had notes, I had research. And this time it's just like, let's talk about <laughs> ass eating. <laughs> Okay, okay. You take it away then. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, okay, we were, we were, I know we were talking about like the romanticization of like, Yes, okay. I know, yeah. I'm you, back. You, like, oh, well, I mean, the last thing I remember was talking about the Irishman like de-glamorizing that. Oh, and then we started talking about Goodfellas and stuff. Well, yeah. so like, I dated somebody that was into the whole, ever since I was a little boy, I wanted to be a gangster mm -hmm. or whatever. Yeah. Like, you know, we were talking about it that it's just like, 
mostly like Irish, Italian, and Jewish immigrants that were part of organized crime families, and they didn't have a lot of opportunities in New York, and so this is like what they ended up doing to make their livings, and so that's kind of a romantic idea. Well, I mean, it like really highlights the like structural inequality of like you know, how America was structured, how it still is, like, it's just, like, it's just an indictment on capitalism, because it's, like, you know, immigrants come in, it's, like, well, you know, we're shit on, we can't make, we can't achieve the so-called American dream, like, you know, on our own, because people don't consider us Americans, so we're gonna make our own version of this, and we're gonna, like, we're gonna just, just take the structures that already exist, and we're gonna recreate them for our own, basically, like, version of society. And at the time, they were able to, like, use things like, you know, like, running booze during Prohibition and stuff that, like, nobody else was able to get their hands on. It's, like, the lowest form of crime when you think about it. Like, it's just they, like, gave booze to people. But yeah, well, and then that's the problem with, like, in The Godfather was, like, that Don Cor that they wanted to start going into, like, harder drug running and Don Corleone didn't want to, like, get involved with that, like, risky side of it because... You know, he had built this whole empire up, and he had all these senators in his pocket who were okay with, like, gambling and all the other, like, shit that they, were, in, like... that they were into. But as soon as you introduce, like, heroin and other types of hard drugs into it, that's when, like, all of his, like, protection, like, his political capital would go out the window. But yeah, I mean, like, probably, does every, is, I don't know, every audience is just a little, like, anti-authoritarian, like, fuck the man a little bit. Don't you think, like, with movies like this, like, people that are into it, which, actually, there's probably a really big crossover between, like, conservative dudes who like The Godfather, even though it's, well, like, it, I mean, there's a whole anti-establishment. There's a whole subsection of, like, I mean, it's considered, like, standard, like, dude movie. Right. Because <laughs> it's The Godfather, and it's guns, and they can and take the cannoli, and, you know, all that, like, <laughs> But, like, don't actually, you know, examine what the movie's really about. But, like, um, I mean, there's a lot of movies that are like that, that, like, get misinterpreted a lot, um, like Fight Club. Right, yeah. And, and just, like, have, um, have, or even fucking Scarface, another Pacino movie, like, that have these, like, cultures around them that completely um, miss the point of the movie, or miss, like, the, like, which I can't tell if that's the fault of the movie for not being clear with its story or not. And, like, I've, I've been thinking about that a lot because I always point to the example of, like, South Park. I hate South Park because I think it's lazy satire. It's, like, it has, like, its ethos of, um, you know, caring about things is stupid regardless of what other side you're on. You know, it's better to just not care about anything at all. It's very a very bad message, and, like, a lot of, and it's, like, kind of a whole generation of, you know, our generation, even when I was in high school, kind of internalized that as being the right message to have, and it just, you know, like, gave you a license to be shitty, but, like, is that, like, is South, does that make South Park bad for existing, or is it just, like, the fault of dumb people for internalizing those messages. Like, I, I don't understand, I, I don't know what the, because, like, I mean, this propaganda is a real thing. Like, people use it all the time. Like, people are swayed by things like that. That's why it's so effective. You know, like, Stalin considered, like, film to be, like, the greatest weapon and, like, the, you know, that you could have with for the masses because of how effective it is at, like, 
stirring up emotions and like you know and, and such so I don't know I don't know so like I said like I don't know if that makes The Godfather fail as a movie if it's like goal was to like you know show how bad this lifestyle is if people just use it as like a status symbol of like aspirational goals you know I think that's probably more the fault of like the audience because I feel like they did a decent job of not like I don't know I feel like it doesn't feel glamorous in the movie like and Michael Corleone like in the movie isn't part of it at the beginning and like you kind of feel like he doesn't want to get into it so I feel like it's probably the audience's fault because like, at the beginning like I feel the main character I mean obviously Don Corleone is Vito Corleone yeah, the, it's, it's, do they call him both? I don't. They don't call him Vito in the move in the first. It's the second. I think in the second one. They. I mean, when when you see De Niro um, in his backstory, he gets called. But that's his his name is Vito. But they call him Don because that's his honor. Because that's like that's a his honorific respect. title. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. So like, you know, you kind of see them both a lot on screen, but like. I feel like you're still kind of, you know that, like, Michael Corleone is your hero, like, the hero of the film, not, like, your hero, but, like, the hero Michael of the Corleone film. is my personal my hero. Very, yeah, <laughs> my own personal hero. Um, but you know that you're, like, this is, like, the kid that you're going to watch, like, grow up through the film or whatever, and you kind of know that he's, like, not really on board, so I feel like you kind of are in that position, too, while you're watching it, if you're of same mind, <laughs> and you're not just a dude bro being, like, get in there, bro! They're gonna kill your brother, bro. You better fucking get in there. You know, it's like if you're watching, you kind of see that it is something that he's like kind of driven into and like has to go do, and it's like more about like family. Can you imagine if you offended Mama Corleone? Yeah, and she and I had to find um, her her beef lasagna in the trash. Sorry, that's a reference to Beef House, which I've been watching, <laughs> which uh, you should watch. I'm gonna do a cheap plug for that show because I wanted to get a second season and I love Vera uh, is a great writer editor Vera Drew comic yes Vera Drew she wrote that she wrote some episodes and edited that show and it's really funny and that's why I keep thinking of Gabagool because there's a whole episode where like Eric makes you know his famous beef lasagna and he like just goes through all of like all the different words, for, and, like he's like the gabagool, and it's like. Is that what gabagool is? I you know I really don't know what it is. <laughs> I just love that word. A dried smoked salami made from pork shoulder and peppery spices. That's the gabagool. <laughs> I love. There's an Esquire article that says, "What the hell is gabagool, and why does Tony Soprano talk about it all the time?" <laughs> <laughs> Sopranos, another show I've never watched. <laughs> <laughs> That's another thing. Like during quarantine, I've been like, should I? Because it's like, well, you're new. in, the, you're in, the, and you're into mob stuff now. So I don't know if I am that deep yet, but we'll <laughs> to, see. To watch The Sopranos. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, like a lot of the research and stuff I had done about The Godfather was um, related to kind of like true stories that The Godfather was based on, and I thought it was interesting because, I mean, obviously the book The Godfather has pulled things from real life to include in the story, but I don't know if, like, the actors necessarily knew that, because um, Marlon Brando, I know that he did that specific voice um, where he, you know, stuffed, like, paper towels or whatever the fuck in his cheeks, um, because he had seen um, a court 
proceedings in the 50s uh, that was for like organized crime mobsters or whatever where he saw Frank Costello give a testimony and he really liked the way he talked and so that's where that voice comes from but Frank Costello actually was a mobster who most of this movie <laughs> like pulled from he was uh, an Italian-American crime boss of the Genovese family and he survived an, an assassination attempt ordered by Vito Genovese um, and it forced him to relinquish power and retire which is kind of the fucking plot of uh -huh. the Godfather just <laughs> that Vito Corleone gets shot and has to start stepping down and forcing Michael to step up but there was a lot of other um, correlations between this Corleonations Corleonations that's so good oh my god Lucky Luciano was another um, Italian gangster that he was close with, and I actually hadn't re read this before, but this is fucking also very close. Um, so Lucky Luciano was a friend of Frank Costello, um, also an Italian mobster, and he was part of the Five Points Gang. Um, the Five Points Gang? Five Points Gang. What a gang. Which I think was like a... Like, a group of different crime families. He says, in October 1929, Luciano was forced into a limousine at gunpoint by three men, beaten and stabbed, and strung up by his hands from a beam in a warehouse in Staten. Jesus Christ. He survived it, but was forever... He survived it? Yeah, but was forever marked with a scar and a droopy eye. The identity of his abductors was never established, but when he was picked up by the police after the beating, Luciano said that he had no idea who did it. In 1953, Luciano told an interviewer that it was the police who kidnapped and beat him in an attempt to find Jack Legg's diamond. So that's kind of like up in the air, but he was also like forever kind of... Yeah, so we don't know whether it was the police or he was just protect... Because it sounds like he could have been just protect, like, not the, like, no-snitch policy. Yeah, and the reason I thought that was interesting is because, obviously, Michael Corleone gets beaten up by a police officer and then is, like, kind of has something up with his face for yeah. all the time. <laughs> which, you know, it's a little, it's interesting that they, like, they, they, like, make a, such a big deal out of that in the novel, like, to the point where, like, you know, Michael refuses to get corrective surgery you know for his side because it like it like messes up his sinuses and like he has like this constant like nasal drip and stuff and he's always complaining about his nose and his like hurting. jaw gets broken yeah but like his whole face is kind of yeah. stuck yeah it's kind of you, you can see it in like in the like restaurant scene that his like face is swollen and stuff and it's still a little bit swollen in italy but like it's never like it's never commented on and it's commented on um there's just like there's a scene that's always like I didn't like the book. I, th I think the movie's a lot better than the book. Um, the book is really long and has and everything that they cut out from the book for the movie wasn't necessary anyways. Uh, but in the book, he gets back and he's like having, you know, like, and somebody at, like mentions that like Michael refuses to get surgery uh, to, to, the, to Don, to the Don, and he's like, He's a man that's, like, a sign of manhood now. Like, why would he want surgery? It's just, like, very, like, you know, like, that very, surgery like... Surgery is for boys. Yeah, that very, like, machismo, like, this is his scar now. He's finally a man. Like, he's finally, like, I finally accept him in the family. Whereas in the movie, it's always, like, I feel like he's always, like, he, he want like, he, like, he respects that Michael doesn't want to be involved with it and doesn't really talk, like, and but when he does come in, he's like, oh, you know, my son's here, that's... I appreciate, you know, he, he does want to step up when the time calls, but, like, 
it's never implied, like, it never, it seems like anybody in the family has that much of an issue with Michael not wanting to be involved with the family. Whereas in the book, like, you know, it's never outright stated, but like, you know, with, like with that scene where he's like, he's a man now, it's like kind of implied that like, oh, nobody, was, no, everybody thought Michael was like kind of a pussy. <laughs> Basically. Right, because he was just in the military. He was just a war hero. Or yeah. <laughs> That's right. He was, yeah, decorated when he came back, too. It wasn't just that he would join the military. Yeah, well, I think it was also kind of implied in the book that, like, they were, that, like, the daughter, like, that Vito was pissed that he would want to fight for a country uh, that doesn't respect his right. people but doesn't want to, like, fight for the family or whatever. I think that was, like, another mm -hmm. point of contention, but... That makes sense. But, you know, in the movie, like I said, they don't touch on that part at all. <laughs> yeah. And nobody really like comments either on his face in the in the movie. It feel it, like they have it swollen for a while, and then in Italy he has like that bruise that just mm -hmm. seems to like stay there forever. But even Apollina like is like whatever. Like you know nobody's like what's up with your face, yeah. which isn't a polite question either. But you know what I mean. Like if you're marrying someone, yeah, nobody nobody you know. But they didn't talk about much before they got married. Yeah, he was just he just showed up. He was like, she's hot. She's hot. I'm gonna marry her, and it's like they're married now, even though he was just, like, engaged to a completely different person in the United States. Yeah, I think it's, like, nuts that he, like, goes back to her afterwards, and I'm like, are you gonna mention your wife, or... Who was brutally murdered? Yeah, does she know the stakes that she's taking in being, like, involved with you? Like, your last wife got blown the fuck up, and now you're like, I know I've been gone for, like, three years, but, like... And for some reason you're not married or moved on at all, and you're ready to just, like, be, like... Here, I, like, okay, we're back to being... Also doesn't ask what happened to his face. <laughs> so another thing that was, and, and this is like maybe one of the more famous scenes of the film where Michael Corleone, he's like starting to become part of his, the proceedings of the crime family, not just in the crime family. Um, they want him to take out the cop who had beaten him up and another member of a different crime family. Um, and there's this, like, really great scene where, you know, they're teaching him how to do it, and they're, like, getting him psyched up to murder people, and they're, like, you go to the bathroom, and you come back, and then you kill him, and, like, he hesitates, kind of, there's, like, that moment, um, before he does it, and it kind of goes to shit afterwards, <laughs> but, uh, Lucky Luciano, in, uh, 1931, decided to eliminate another person of a crime family, um, there was, like, a big, like, mob war going on between them, and he saw it as an opportunity to, like, switch allegiance, so he agreed to have a meeting, um, to, like, engineer someone's death so that he could get into a different crime family. He <laughs> was told to, uh, meet at a restaurant in Coney Island where they played cards. Luciano allegedly excused himself to the bathroom, and with the gunman reportedly being, uh, Oh, well, I'll cut that, because it doesn't matter who all these fucking... No, no, I want to read their names. <laughs> Anastasia Genovese Adonis, Benjamin Bugsy Siegel, Ciro the Artichoke King Terranova. The Artichoke King. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like Jackie Legs Diamond. That was the dude that he thought might have tried to... Or he was beaten up for information on Jackie Licks. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, the artichoke King Terranova drove the getaway card, but legend has it that he was too shaken up to drive away and had to be shoved out of the driver's seat by Siegel, 
which is kind of, yeah, Michael Corleone is obviously very shaken up after his first uh, non-military sanctioned murders. Um. It's not non-military sanctioned murders. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I just thought those were, like, interesting tidbits that, like, so much of, like, New York crime family history was, like, in The Godfather, to the extent that oh, another mobster who... Um, kind of coined the phrase like he sleeps with the fishes because he had somebody killed and then he took their um, bulletproof vest and put fish in it and sent it to his family and said so-and-so sleeps with the fishes. He actually was going to sue the Godfather but he died a month after it came out so he didn't get the chance. He didn't get the chance to sue. It's too bad. Which maybe Francis Ford Coppola had him taken out, you know? He invited him to a restaurant. He was like, I'm gonna go to the bathroom, don't worry about it. Yeah, I don't know. I liked The Godfather a lot more than I thought I was going to for a three-hour movie that, like, a lot of dudes like. I also, um, when I watched it with you, uh, I, had, I mean, I had seen it a couple times before, so I just got super, uh, way too stoned, and it was a completely different experience. Yeah, Jake, I made a... I made a weed cake, and it's funny because, like, while you were eating it, you were like, how many milligrams do you think this is? And I was like, I have no fucking idea. <laughs> like, I put a amount of weed in a pot, and then I make butter. So I can tell you, if you ate the entire cake, how much weed that would be, but I can't tell you incrementally, you know? So, like, basically the answer should have been way too much for you, Jake. And stop eating, save that for later, but... Um, yeah, Jake at that edible, and then we watched a three-hour movie. Yeah, and... Full of violence and horse heads. Yeah, like, I did well for about the first 45 minutes to an hour of it, but, oh my god. <laughs> it was... It got bad. I was, like, about the time, um, I would say, like, about the time that he would hit the restaurant was about when it was, like, really kicking in. It was like, I cannot sit here anymore. I gotta walk around and do other things. I, like, I went to the bathroom, like, five times. Jake was just, like, in the back of my house somewhere. And <laughs> I was finishing, like, I just kept watching it. And it was funny to come back in and be like, where is he? Like, what, what part of the movie is it? And I would, like, for, like, so long I had to be like, he's still in Italy. <laughs> he's still in Italy. <laughs> and you'd be like, fuck! <laughs> uh, but yeah, so, high or unhigh, which is a better viewing of the Godfather? Sober. Sober? A hundred percent. No, like, cause, like, the worst part was all the loud baby crying. Oh my god. was just like, oh my god, it was like torture. There's on babies. Every time there was a baby crying, it was like, I hate this so much. Yeah, it's like any scene where there's not like quiet kind of like contemplation and intimidation and these like even, heavy even moods. The, even the quiet contemplation, like... Um, one of the few times that I came back and actually sat down and attempted to keep watching it was, um, right after Sonny was murdered and, like, D Don Corleone's in the funeral home and he's like, look what, look what they did to my son. And I was like, I just, like, felt like, like, I felt like I was transported standing right next to him and I wanted to give him a hug and I was like, oh, it's okay, I'm sorry, what did they do to your son? And I was like, this is too intense and I got up and left again. In the first recording we talked a little bit about, like, presentation of women in the film and how like it sucked so i guess we can touch on that a little bit oh yeah because we kind of mentioned that like in comparison like is when we're talking about panic and needle park yeah like the women in this film are super one-dimensional 
Um, just either, have... They're either yelling or crying the whole time or like being like, where are you going? Like it's like there's like it's always about the men in the film. <laughs> yeah, it's like really I mean, you know, there's women around in the wedding scene at the beginning. But they're not really there for much. You know, you, you just know that you're waiting until you can go in that dark room with Vampire Corleone. Mm -hmm. um, and then, so, like, Mama Corleone's in it a little bit, but really just to feed people Garbagool. 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 My cat, Garbagool. <laughs> yeah. Um, That's what happened to that cat that he was petting at the beginning uh, of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I read in one of the, like, trivia things that that was just a cat from the Paramount lot that... Marlon Brando was like, I'm a pet this cat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like his sister, there's I, the first woman that he, Michael, is involved with who he takes to the wedding, and he's like... I mean, because that scene kind of serves as both like him explaining to her what he, what she's getting into and also him kind of explaining to the audience a little bit. Right, right. It's like total like exposition drop scene, but like, but yeah, that's that, that's implied to be her first experience with his family. <laughs> I think I might honestly be down if somebody was like, I'm in a mob family. I'd be like... Yeah, that's kind of what he was. He was like, oh yeah, that guy killed someone over here. That guy killed somebody. <laughs> like, alright, I knew who I need to have in my corner. <laughs> the murderers. Yep. <laughs> but yeah, I, mean, I feel like there's so much more opportunity for her to be a more dynamic character and for them to have like more like discussions about this like life that he wasn't involved in and gets involved in later like I feel like she could have been you know not that every woman needs to be put in like kind of like the straight man like let me talk you out of this and like let me be the voice of reason thing but I feel like she could have at least had that just to have more lines it <laughs> 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 have been like much more for her there could have been a lot more for Apollina even though she there was like language barriers or something that yeah. could have even been like a like comedic part of the film or something they wanted to give us like a little bit of a laugh. There's no laughs in the entire. There's movie. no laugh. That would you know what? what that's the fuck? that's, that's was, my beef. Yeah, the Godfather <laughs> should have more laughs in it. <laughs> it wasn't funny enough. It's a bad comedy. Yeah, Godfather, terrible comedy. <laughs> terrible comedy. You know. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I think it's like funny. The actress who played Apollina, what she said of her role was, "I met him, I married him, I died." And it's like, that's like literally how little she's in the movie is that it's like her, it, he bargains for her, they're married a little bit, and then it's like, oh no, don't get that she's the perf, his perfect idyllic wife, and this is his perfect idyllic life, being back in the old country with a pretty young with wife. Tabby hat. And then, and then he's dragged back in when she's blown up. Right. Yeah. Just when you try and get out, they pull you back in and you gotta go back to your old girlfriend. <laughs> and not mention anything to her. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there could have been better female representation or just anything. Yeah. <laughs> other than dudes talking. But I mean it's Hey, also God is Godfather um the uh, embodiment of hashtag dudes rock. <laughs> it's the godfather, not the goddess father. <laughs> Goddess mother. <laughs> Goddess mother. <laughs> All right, so let's uh, let's do our little wrap up about our final opinions on each of the movies. You, um, so you didn't see me, Natalie. So I'll I'll give mine. Um, it was fine. I give it a solid seven out of ten. For my description, do you feel like you will want to ever seek out this movie? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I mean, I would watch it for Patty Duke. 
to like lust after Patty Duke or something. Yeah, I mean that's what I did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and once I'm done lusting after Al Pacino. <laughs> well, yeah, there's a certain scene where you can lust after them both. So. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, I'm definitely gonna watch it then. <laughs> Because he's probably like 28-year-old Pacino, which yeah, is like more... 69, yeah, because 71, he, yeah, you said he was... How old was he in 70? 29. So he went in 27. And oh. Probably me, Natalie. <laughs> Even better. <laughs> Even closer to my age. There you go. I wanted to make it clear I wasn't just like, ooh, younger. Like... <laughs> <laughs> ah! I'm Jerry Seinfeld here now. <laughs> I love that tweet that was like... Uh, it's 1991, you're hanging out with your friends after school. Jerry Seinfeld pulls up. <laughs> <laughs> Picks up your friend. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> Jesus. Um, Alright, Panic in Yield Park, what is your final thoughts on that? I'll give that, like, four out of five rusty needles. And then The Godfather, I would give, like, five out of five bloody horse heads. <laughs> with a little bit of the gabagool on the side. <laughs> Of you know what? Honestly, I, I I agree with both of those assessments. I can't say that I disagree. I I think that you you gave solid scores. <laughs> so the uh, plug, do some final plugs. Um, what is so our next movies are Scarecrow uh, and Serpico. You want to? So how do you want to do? Do you want to do just two from now on, or do you want to? I think it depends on like how much we want to talk about it. Okay, because we got Scarecrows. The next three are Scarecrow, Serpico, and Godfather, Godfather Part Two. <laughs> Which the Godfather Part Two might need its own episode. It's a, like, I, unlike the first Godfather, I've only seen the first hour of Godfather Two. So. <laughs> yeah, so we'll have those movies to watch and look forward to talking to you guys about, and then let's plug Twitter handles yeah. first. Um, I, mean, I am at Static Blue Bat also known as a box of Altoids on Twitter. Um, and what is your Twitter at? My Twitter at, which by the way, one of my best friends recently was like, by the way, you know you can change that. <laughs> and I was like, I know. Um, it's Callie Bud, K-A-L-I-E-B-U-D, which, cause I love weed. That's, it's like spelled like K-A-L-E-E -E on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Callie. 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 Yeah, colleague. Like a little border colleague. Uh, at VeraJuru22 on Twitter. That's our good friend Vera, who... She's currently making the People's Joker, and um, she's asking for help from anybody. So you can... People's Joker. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I'm looking for footage for her right now, and I might be acting in it, depending on if there's less... If there's not a... You know, I'll probably be the least talented person in it if I do. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> um, at um Elijah, it's spelled U H M L I J A H. Elijah's very funny. Uh, so is Leah Bliz at Leah Bliz and uh, Kelsey Kane. Sure, <laughs> Kelsey's a lot more popular than us, but I like She's her a lot. Fine. She does good work. <laughs> yeah, those people are all really funny, and we love them. So follow yeah. them, follow us, and. Good night. Yeah. Keep on Pacinoing. Keep on Dunkachinoing. There we go. <laughs>